It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire. You need Indeed. Kyle Krabs here, host of Locked On NFL Scouting. Join Joe Marino and me every day as we provide position-by-position analysis of the upcoming NFL Draft. Check out the Locked On NFL Scouting podcast with the Draft Dudes on YouTube or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Welcome into the Locked On Bengals podcast on a Tuesday. Joe Goodberry of The Athletic coming up in 30 seconds. A quick reminder that this is the only daily Bengals podcast out there. You can subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, the iHeartRadio app, and wherever you get your podcast, including LockedOnBengals.com, where there is plenty there, including yesterday's interview with Tony Pike, including five thoughts from the Bengals beatdown at the hands of the Kansas City Chiefs and so much more at LockedOnBengals.com. Joe Goodberry of The Athletic joins us every single week for our weekly film review. He does great work for them. You should subscribe to The Athletic, and you can follow Joe on Twitter, at Joe Goodberry. Joe, there's so much I want to talk about with you because you went back and you watched the film. Let's start with where, uh, with a guy I was very critical of after Sunday, and it was Bill Lazor. To me, the offense was dull. It was stale. It looked like it did in 2017 or 2016. It, there was no creativity. They put Joe Mixon in position to fail. They put John Ross in a position to – well, they didn't even put him in position because they didn't use him. Um, the, the other thing that I thought was very interesting was A.J. Green, yes, the numbers, seven receptions look okay – but it was hard to get him the ball. It, it, it looked, even when they went downfield and scored the touchdown, it was challenging. It reminded me of last season and the year before that where this offense was one of the worst in the NFL. I was very critical of Bill Lazor's play calling. Uh, how much of this is on Bill Lazor? How much of it is on, is it on Andy? I just, I'm shocked that they only scored 10 points on Sunday. Yeah, this was, uh, you're right. It was 2016-2017 offense, and, and, you know, that predates, Bill Lazor some too with Ken Zampezi. It was when you don't have anybody else outside of A.J. Green to move the ball, and that's exactly what we saw. And you're right, it was a struggle to get it to Green at times. There was a lot of heavy, heavy double coverage towards his way, and we haven't seen that as much this year, to be honest, because Tyler Boyd's played well when they had Eifer. John Ross has at least – Skilled defenses, he did not this week. I don't, and I wonder if you know it's going to take a deep shot or or another a uh, big play to him again to get defenses to respect it to respect him again. Um, I think Tyler Boyd is is struggling with the added tight coverage um, the last few weeks. He's averaging like nine point three yards per catch since Tyler Eifert went down. I think that's had a big effect on him. Um, but overall, when you watch it and. You know, when the games we came away and said, wow, the offense looked really good. Laser, man, we're real happy with laser. When you watch the tape, there's an energy. There's a there's a fire. Everyone's running their routes. Even the guys that aren't getting the ball are running their routes like I'm helping the team because this other guy's getting open. Um, it was very quickly into the Chiefs game where I'm like, these guys are out. They're done. They, they don't either believe in the game plan. They don't think they're going to be able to keep up with the Chiefs. They just don't. There was, They were not inspired by, by anything that was going on around them. And there was a lot of routes and a lot of combo plays and a lot of combo routes where I'm just like watching these guys. I'm like, yeah, they're, they're running at 50%, 75%. And the ball is just getting fed to A.J. Green when other guys were open. There were some plays where Dalton could have been picked off, I think, a couple times because he didn't see the underneath defender. And he ended up, did get intercepted, forcing it to Green on, on, a, on when the underneath defender jumped his route and returned it for six. Uh, it just, I think Dalton had his worst game easily, uh, worst game in, in, a, in a while, in over a year probably. And um, you're not going to win too many games like that when the coordinator's not really creating and the quarterback is struggling to see what is plainly in front of him. And I think he is, that was a big issue on Sunday night. Um, and to go along with that, I think the biggest issue right now is, yes, they've lost talent. Yes, they've lost some players due to injuries, and they're struggling a bit. And the offensive line still has some issues on the right side. But 
Joe Mixon is not being involved in the way he should be, and I, that falls squarely on, on Bill Lazor. Uh, when I watch these other teams, when you watch the Chiefs catch eight passes for 85 yards, I'm talking their running backs combined, and Joe Mixon catches three for one yard, yeah. there is a problem there. That is not okay. They, you look at it, he's ranked 41st in the league out of running backs that have been targeted 11 times in yards per catch. That is not okay. That is not good. I, I went back because I wanted to look at Todd Gurley's numbers, and, I, and I, a lot of times I've compared um, uh, Joe Mixon to Le'Veon Bell in aesthetics and style. But Gurley, when he struggled that sophomore year, and I'm not saying Mixon struggled because his numbers look good right now, but in the passing game, and, and when Gurley and the, and the Jeff Fisher Rams really struggled on offense, and it seemed like everybody was playing worse than you knew they could. And then that following year when they hired Sean McVay, and what did they use? They used the passing game to really spark Gurley and get him to be the player he is now, where he's league MVP type guy. And I think Mixon could do that. You see it a lot. And, and, and you say they're not using him. They're not doing it. They're not sparking this offense offense through the passing game to Joe Mixon at all. There was a time where it was a third down. Joe Mixon just basically swatted the ball down because the two defenders are right on him. As soon as the ball gets to him, the ball shouldn't have been thrown there. So he's getting these dump off plays, nothing created for him. The one that was, they bring him in motion from the right to the left side, keep him going on, on almost like a, a jet motion into the, and behind the receivers and they throw it to him. The Chiefs are, are using misdirection and then giving the ball to the running back. The Bengals are showing direction to that running back and then giving it to him while three defenders are on him. He loses three yards. So it was a stark contrast from what the Chiefs were doing to what the Bengals were doing offensively. And obviously, right, we expected that. But, man, it was a punch in the mouth for everyone watching it that, like, man, we're not even close to that. Joe Goodberry of The Athletic is with us. Yeah, I, look, he, here's how I view it. And it was, uh, I made multiple comments from Bill Lazor left his 2018 playbook at Paul Brown Stadium and brought the 2017 version with him uh, and plenty of other things. You know, the Bengals are, are Algebra 1. Meanwhile, Kansas City is advanced calculus, which is something I was never smart enough to take in high school or college. But the point remains that if you're the Bengals, we've had this conversation now for three years. I even remember Tyler Boyd as a rookie. Wondering if they were going to feature him more, set him up for success, find ways to get him the ball. Last year, it was Mixon, it was Ross, and we're having that conversation again this year. And there are plenty of people listening to this podcast that just thinks John Ross is a bust, and that's fine. Look, I- I'm-, I'm done trying to convince people one way or the other. H- here's what I will say, though. If, if you think that, and-, and you think it's on Ross for his struggles or, or lack of production, lack of catches— what do you think about Mixon? Because no one questions Mixon's talent. No one questions Mixon's ability. Everyone thinks he can be a star, and he is not. He had 51 yards on Sunday night football on 16 touches. That is not star numbers. So is it play calling, and is it the, the Bengals' offensive scheme, or do, you, do, you, do people think that Joe Mixon's a bust? Of course no one thinks he's a bust. Everyone sees the talent. They're not setting him up for success. And if I have to watch him catch another pass in the flat with two defenders near him where he's got to one-hand it, and he didn't necessarily have to one-hand it, but he's trying to be cute, which is fine. Joe Mixon's got a little flash to him. Whatever. Put him in a position to succeed. Get him one-on-one with a linebacker where he's breaking in or breaking out and, and can choose where he's going. Do that. Get the ball in his hands early in the passing game. That'll get Andy Dalton, your average quarterback, into a rhythm. Uh, find ways to get the ball to John Ross. Like, everything that Kansas City did, to a certain degree, other offenses can emulate. Now, can they be as high-powered? No. Can they be as talented? No. Do Are there Patrick Mahomeses that grow on trees? No. But the, the point is, I think Bill Lazor could have put this offense in a position to succeed on Sunday and had some unique things that unique wrinkles that we haven't seen all year and instead it was the most dull game he had ever called it was safe it was boring it was like they didn't put any any work into it and that's what bothers me most is it fair and I'm being really long-winded here but is it fair Joe to say right now that the Bengals offensive play calling is setting up Joe Mixon maybe not for failure but it's certainly not setting him up for success I think that's very fair. I think it's very fair to say it about everyone outside of A.J. Green at this point. They're putting Green in the slot still. They're still moving him around, and they're getting him plays, and we're getting chunk plays out of it. Um, he actually caught one vertical pass that he tripped up on and maybe should have been a touchdown. But everyone else, even Tyler Boyd, right? We've seen Boyd when he's been featured. 
And we're like, wow, this, you, that's a legit number two receiver. We got someone. And then he go out, goes and catches three passes for 27 yards, and you say, where was Tyler Boyd? I'm sure you got a lot of comments of people on Twitter during the game. Where's Boyd? What's Boyd doing? Well, this offense is struggling. Where's Boyd? And you watch it, and it goes, they're just not – I mean, they're just having them go run an out route. Okay, well, how about we stack some guys up? How about we put someone in motion to, to get them a free release? It's just a lot of what they were doing was – very bland. And the worst part about this, a lot of people say, why are you guys ripping the offense when the defense got shredded? They couldn't tackle. They couldn't cover. The pass rush was almost non-existent for most of the game again. It's because we knew that would happen. The Chiefs were going to score 35. We knew this. Every, no, one, no one in their right mind outside of Marvin Lewis and the Bengals staff thought this defense was going to hold the Chiefs under 30 points. So the offense had to have their best day. Mm-hmm. And they had to have a good day. They had to be efficient. They had to be explosive. They had to use all of their playmakers. They had to pull things out, pull tricks out that they haven't used all year. New stuff. They did none of that. They had their worst performance of the year, worst performance in a long time. And it, it made you think – you're not going to beat anybody with an offense like this. I, I have, I legit. I mean, they've lost this their third game now, and the, the, the previous two losses, you kind of say, ah, you know, it, it happens. This one was the one where I step back and go, I don't know if this team is any different than we thought. Because mm-hmm. I think we've all written it or said it a few times this year that maybe this team is different. Maybe they're different. Maybe this is the year. And then now you come away from this game and you go, no. Against a good coach, against a, a team that schemes it, against a team that's going to put up 40 points, against a team that's aggressive going for it, they, they, can't, they can't hold a candle to them. They're not even close to those teams. And it's, it's very disheartening to watch and come away from because um, they, they still may win 10 games looking at the schedule. They, you know, 9-10, they may, get, get a, may win the division. They may win a wild card spot. But it may not matter if they're not going to be aggressive. They're not going to come into this game saying, listen, we may have some third downs where we fail, but look at this Chiefs team. They're going to score 35 points. Pray to God we don't meet the Chiefs in the playoffs, right? And, and say, okay, you can't. And I, and I talked about this, James, you had me on 700 WLW, and you said, well, how, what are the Bengals' chances? What do they have to do? I said, they can't punt. And we kind of laughed about it. We were, you know, because who, what do you mean you can't punt? I mean, it was right off of watching the Patriots and Chiefs where the Patriots didn't punt. So that was in my mind. But then I went and looked at the stats also. And I said, man. Opposing teams have only punted 17 times against the Chiefs in, in, in six weeks, and they've gone for it on fourth down 14 times. I mean, you almost had one for one there, punting and going for it, because that Chiefs team put so much pressure on you to push the ball, keep going, keep the, keep the pedal on the, uh, to the metal, keep the gas going. You have to play aggressive. And the Bengals acted like their defense was going to stop them. They acted like, oh, we'll punt it, put them at their five-yard line, and, and our defense will stop them. The Chiefs answered by going 95 yards so efficiently that the, the Bengals linebackers' heads were spinning like they couldn't believe what was going on. But you watch it, you go, what did you expect? You can't give it to, it doesn't matter if you give it to them at the five, the 10, or the 40. Give, them at, give it to them at, the, at your own 30. The same results. It's going to be seven points. They're going to score. They've done it all year. They've done it against everybody. And the Bengals are punting from the 50, punting from the 47. Bad play calls on like a third and eight where they're trying to get all eight. No, get five and then get the three on fourth down. But they wouldn't do it, and they weren't going to do it. And they had no intentions on winning that game. They're completely outcoached. And that's the biggest and scariest thing going forward. They've got injuries. They've got questions in personnel. But, again, we're sitting here with coaching and saying, I'm not sure they're good enough to overcome these good teams. We have some breaking news on the wide receiver front. I'll ask Joe if the Bengals should bring someone in from the outside and more as we roll on here. But first, a word from Vivid Seats. Vivid Seats is an online event ticket marketplace dedicated to providing fans of live entertainment. You with experiences that last a lifetime. You can watch your favorite teams and artists perform in person. They, well, they'll hook you up with great deals on concerts, sporting events, theater, and more. So let's say you want to go see Bengals in Tampa Bay, the Buccaneers this Sunday. Go to Vivid Seats right now. Download the Vivid Seats app or go to vividseats.com. And with podcast code locked on, you're going to receive $20 off your order of $200 or more. Save some money and get great seats at a reasonable price as it is. It is Vivid Seats. Go to the App Store, Google Play, and download the Vivid Seats app. Enter promo code Locked On and get 20 bucks off orders of $200 or more as a new customer on your first order. All Vivid Seats confirmed orders are backed by a 100% 
guarantee. I've used Vivid Seats. You should too. Again, the Vivid Seats app or vividseats.com. Promo code locked on. If you're looking for the most comprehensive NFL draft coverage this offseason, look no further than the Locked On NFL Scouting Podcast. Join the draft dudes, Kyle Krabs and Joe Marino, as they go position by position through the NFL free agent class and into the star-studded crop of college stars who will be selected in the 2024 NFL Draft. If you want to know who your favorite NFL team should be adding to its roster, you need to check out Locked On NFL Scouting. Available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Joe Goodberry of The Athletic is with us. Joe, I want to talk about the defense. Vontez perfect. There's, there's plenty to discuss. Uh, for the most part, I'm with you. We do have some, some breaking news. Mike Garofalo of uh, NFL Network tweets out that uh, John Ross is expected to miss a few weeks with the groin injury he uh, re-aggravated on Sunday. That obviously the Bengals have one game against Tampa and then a bye. I I have look it it stinks for a variety of reasons. One because groins can linger, groin injuries. We knew that when he aggravate or when he injured it initially in Atlanta. Um, I thought maybe he'd be a one hundred percent. Clearly not. And now you wonder if this is going to linger and people are going to complain and whine and bitch and moan about John Ross. Here's what I will say. I don't know how big of a loss this is because the Bengals don't even feature him. They don't use him. They didn't get the ball to him easy at all. There's no idea. It looked like they have no intention of getting the ninth overall pick involved. And so these people that don't watch the games, that just look at injuries, that that just care about fantasy football or, oh, what, what did Ross do? He had zero catches. He's a bust. If you watch that game, the Bengals did zero to get Ross involved. Nothing, 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 nothing. And I watch across the league from rookie receivers uh, to slot wide receivers. Get them involved early. Find a way to get the ball in their hands. The Bengals didn't. He was out there for 30 snaps, got one target, and should have drawn a penalty. But Andy Dalton threw it so far away it was uncatchable. There was zero chance that they were going to throw incidental contact, uh, an incidental contact penalty there. Your thoughts on the way they have or haven't used John Ross? Obviously, the, the injury is unfortunate. But they didn't use him on Sunday at all, and I thought it was ridiculous. It, when I watched the tape and I wanted to go back and see, um, you know, well, yeah, did they create anything? Was there any opportunities for him to catch a pass that Dalton maybe didn't see him or didn't look his way? And I came away, and I think it was 19 pass routes or something, some along those out of the 30 snaps. And um, I came away just saying, and normally I can come up with a story or some type of explanation of what's going on. I watched Ross, and it looked like he was running at 75%, and I'm like, is he still hurt? Um, does he know he's a decoy on a lot of these plays? Because he really is on a lot of these plays. It's they, they, you'll see, you can see it with all twenty-two when you get the end zone angle, especially the one that faces Dalton's Andy Dalton's face. Um, you can see where he stops and looks in through his progressions, and he'll check for Green, check for Boyd, dump it down, whatever the case may be. Um, and he will skip over players sometimes, and it makes you wonder if he just doesn't trust them, if he doesn't think they're going to be in the right spot, if they're really not even options on the play. And he did that a lot with Ross and C.J. Uzama. And, um, you know, it's it's frustrating because here he is hurt again. And we talked about this last year. I wrote about it when I said, um, guys that miss that rookie year or really have no production in their rookie year are usually always bust. And they always um, don't come out of that that deep hole that to climb out of for whatever reason teams don't use them or don't treat them as if they are high uh, priority or they don't use them as if they are um, um, integral parts of their offense. They kind of move on when a guy has that year and it, it's disheartening that he's hurt again. And now he's going to miss a few more weeks and, and here we are and here he is not producing again. And it's going to be placed a lot on the player and when you watch him and you see the flashes, because he's had a couple touchdowns, uh, the preseason was fun. You know, there was a there's a lot of individual efforts and plays for Ross where you say he can do it. He can he can a very maybe he's not going to be Deshaun Jackson, but he can be a contributing member of this offense that really needs his speed really really badly. And here we are missing him again, and they're not using him, and they're not getting him involved, and it's just. He, on, on the surface, people will go, well, he didn't contribute, so they're not going to miss him. We'll keep going. We'll be fine. No, when you watch it, man, and Alex Erickson's out there, Cody Core, Josh Malone, 
defenses treat them much differently, and it gets much tighter for Tyler Boyd. It gets much tighter for A.J. Green. Um, it's, it's, it gets harder to run the ball. It's, it's scary to lose him because they don't have somebody to replace him. It's not that he's been great. It's that the guys behind him really aren't, aren't quality NFL receivers, and we thought this was a position of strength. turns out it's really a position of weakness, and the Bengals are in a situation where, um, you know, if Ross misses half of the remaining games to go, we might be going in this offseason, like, what do we do at wide receiver? Yeah, it's certainly a legitimate question. Um, here's one I will ask you. You watch film. I don't know how much you've watched of him, but he's someone the Bengals are familiar with, and he's available right now. Uh, Terrell Pryor, I heard he was getting healthy. I know he's had multiple stops. I know he's underwhelmed after that 1,000-yard season in Cleveland back in 2016. Is that someone knowing not only that Ross is down – but uh, for a couple weeks minimum. But you look at it, they clearly don't trust Josh Malone. I, I don't want to see Alex Erickson on the outside consistently. That makes no sense. And, and despite what Bengals fans say about Auden Tate, I, I'm not really seeing it with him as a wide receiver right now. There's a reason no one claimed him. Zero teams claimed him. Uh, I was told the Bengals got zero trade calls about him before the 53-man cutdown. I don't think the league is interested in Auden Tate. So if they're not interested, then maybe the Bengals are right that he needs time to develop and is not ready to move up now and have a chance to to perform at a decent level. Um, do you tick, Do you kick the tires on a guy like Terrell Pryor? I think you definitely look at receiver. I just said you may look at it in the offseason. If there are guys available right now that you think could help, and we got a lot of questions about Des Bryant in the offseason, right? And yeah. leading up to the season, and he's still sitting there. Um, and you look at it, and Terrell Pryor's been released. The Jets have intentions on re- resigning him. Yeah, I would kick the tires on both those guys. Uh, you're not talking about a lot of money at this point. You're not talking about guaranteed money at this point, which sounds great to the Bengals and Mike Brown. So, yeah, I would be interested in it, especially if you're thinking Ross is going to miss two games, three weeks, three games, four weeks, whatever the case may be, and that's half of the remaining season at that point, and you go, we can't let this derail the offense completely. We've seen this offense when they had no one else outside of A.J. Green, and, you know, no other speed guy. We have Tyler Boyd right now. We know that. But that other speed position the last two years really hurt this team when they went from Marvin Jones to Brandon LaFell, and we can't have that again, basically. This offense is not going to survive it not with their lack of creativity lately, not with the, the offensive line having issues. I think right guard has been starting to make Andy Dalton see ghosts. There was a couple times last week where um, Alex Redmond is battling and ultimately loses pressure and Dalton's already bailing the pocket. From the pocket presence that we've praised through the first you know quarter of the season, I'm starting to get worried now. And I would like to have another receiver out there that's going to win one-on-one situations that can help this, this offense keep moving. And if that's Pryor, if that's Des Bryant, I'm all for it at this point. Honestly, I don't want to see, see this season get wasted um, at the rate it's going with injuries and the confidence we're losing in coaching. Uh, it's heading to that, and I would like to see them make a move to acquire some talent. We're speculating, but just knowing with the – and both, I think, have been semi-headaches in the locker room. They, they've certainly had their fair share of issues – um, to each their own. If you had to pick one, Dez or Pryor, who you picking? I'm really not sure because of that, right? Yeah. Because of the the character part they bring. Because I don't know, like how how, how like in shape is Dez? Obviously, Pryor has played lately and he's hurt right now, but they expect him to make a quick return. Um, Dez not be, being out for a while will have a probably a longer turnaround for him. But at the same time, for what they're asking John Ross to do. I think both guys could fill that, and we want them to do more with that position, of course, but um, they're not asking Ross to do a lot. So those guys should be able to jump in and help, and if they can earn the trust of Andy Dalton quickly, um, that would probably be the key in, in seeing which guy could, could effectively help the team quicker. I, I think both would be at risk because of the, the issues they've, they've faced and the way priors bounce around the league and never really fit into any locker room. He makes enemies quickly. It feels, it feels that way. And does Brian, on the other hand, um, he's passionate. And I think a lot of teams uh, see, view that the wrong way and don't want to bring him onto a team. So um, I, I don't, I don't know if I have a favorite, I would be interested in bringing both guys in and I would talk to both and see how both work out because it'd be important for Des to be in shape mm-hmm. and from there and, and Pryor's health. And from there, I'd, I'd, I'd hope they make the correct decision. Yeah, I would be, I, and I would expect and assume we are going to find out that they're working out wide receivers today. So who knows um, what, what the case is there. Joe Goodberry of The Athletic is with us. The trade deadline is a week from today. I'm going to ask Joe about a trade I would make 
and we're going to get into the defense, Vontaze Perfect, and more. But first, a word from my bookie. Remember, who you're betting on is just as important as who you're betting with. That's why I tell you and all of my Locked on Bengals listeners to bet with my bookie. They're your best bet this season. They've been in the business for years. They have great reviews online, and their mobile site is easy to use. I love their mobile site. It's my go-to on my iPhone. I would only recommend a service to you that's been good to me. I'm urging you to make your way to my bookie. They have in-game betting, live betting, over-unders on fantasy points scored, and the most rewarding player perks in the business. My bookie is slammed with new bettors and wants to give everyone the best service possible. If you're willing to deposit after 7 p.m. Eastern time, they're going to give you an additional $25 free play on deposits over $100. Join now and my bookie will match your deposit dollar for dollar. Use promo code locked on 25 to activate this offer. Visit my bookie online today. That's M Y B O O K I E. And don't forget to use the promo code locked on 25 when creating your account to claim up to $1,000 in free play. If you're willing to hold out until after 7 p.m., you can get an extra 25 bucks by using promo code locked on 25. It's up to you guys, but I figure. You might want the extra money. You play, you win, you get paid with my bookie online. Again, promo code locked on 25. If you're looking for the most comprehensive NFL draft coverage this offseason, look no further than the Locked On NFL Scouting Podcast. Join the draft dudes, Kyle Krabs and Joe Marino, as they go position by position through the NFL free agent class and into the star-studded crop of college stars who will be selected in the 2024 NFL Draft. If you want to know who your favorite NFL team should be adding to its roster, you need to check out Locked On NFL Scouting. Available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Joe, let's talk about the defense because obviously the offense and the reason I've been so critical of the offense is because they've shown that they can be uh, play at a high level. They've shown that they could do it and I expected them to do it on Sunday. Part of the reason why they needed to, a big reason why, is because the Bengals' defense is cottonell soft. It is just getting destroyed uh, and destroyed and destroyed some more. Maybe Charmin Ultra Soft. I like Charmin Ultra uh, a little better. I I like that nickname. So we'll call him the Charmin Ultra Soft Bengals' defense offered little to no resistance. Um, Just my untrained eye looking at what they did, there was nothing unique, nothing different, a lot like the offense. It was like... They were going up to play against any other NFL team. And with that high-powered Chiefs team, I was kind of expecting them to put William Jackson and make William follow Tyreek Hill. Jesse Bates, kind of put him on uh, Travis Kelsey, maybe have someone help out with him, but that's what I would have done. And then put Dre Kirkpatrick on Sammy Watkins one-on-one and kind of just live with the results there while you're trying to force a turnover to knowing that you're going to give up big plays and give up yards. The Bengals didn't do that. They just gave up big plays in yards. Your thoughts on their their defensive scheme and what they did on Sunday, and was it different than any other week? It was definitely different than every other week because um, even though they've been a bad defense pretty much all year, um, besides the game-saving turnovers, touchdowns, right, I think that has saved a lot of angst that, that fans have felt towards the defense in, in a lot of weeks. Um on Sunday night against the Chiefs, they they were completely outmatched. And we talked about it when comparing the offenses between Kansas City and Cincinnati. But effectively, the Chiefs offense have a lot of moving parts. They've got a lot of weapons, and they've got a lot of misdirection. And just going into the game, I, I said, this is going to kill the Bengals linebackers in the middle of the field. And, and they're just over-aggressive. Um, they, they don't trust each other. They're playing out of positions. They're, they're not gap sound or, or, or not playing with a lot of gap integrity. Um, especially Vontaze Perfect. I think he's made a lot of mental mistakes, which has not always been the case. Um, <laughs> You look at it and you get guys that try to do too much at times. Sean Williams, I thought, had a terrible first half and rebounded for a good second half when he got a little more disciplined. Uh, but that first half where he's just, you see his eyes are in the wrong spot and there's a guy running to his right or his left, our right, and they easily hit him for a touchdown. That's Demetrius Harris, I believe, tight end for the Chiefs. And that is Sean Williams' spot. And he's just about 10 yards out of position for no reason at all. Like he's expecting a, a seam throw and he's just not there. So, there was a lot of plays where you look at it and they say, okay, they're playing zone. 
ah, the pass rush didn't get there. Pat Mahomes picked him apart on that one. And then they go into man. And they're playing man, and the, and the Chiefs show some pre-snap motion, a pre-snap movement, or a play fake after the snap. And Fontes Burfitt completely leaves Spencer Ware alone. His guy just tries to go and jump onto Tyreek Hill and help Drake Kirkpatrick. You're not supposed to do that. You've got to trust all 11 guys are going to do their job. But when they're not doing their job in individual plays throughout the game, that's when things start breaking down. They have a lot of trust issues, I think, amongst themselves and with the coordinator right now. And they're trying to do too much. They're, they're pressing too much. They're missing tackles. Uh, again, I want to pick on Vontaze Perfect again, but here's a guy who has always been a solid tackler, physical tackler, but I think because the microscope is on him, because he pretty much got the message after a $112,000 fine that, listen, you mess up again and you're on another suspension, and this one probably isn't going to be another two, three games. It may be five, six, seven, eight games. It may be the, the one where you say, this is your last chance ever. And so I think he's playing differently. You see him, he's yeah. a little less aggressive. He's, he's tackling low. He's diving at angles, and he's not that type of athlete to do that. And he's missing now. He's completely neutered, and it's bad for the defense, and it's bad for the team. And, you know, it's... It, I feel bad saying that because I'm one of the guys that's saying, hey, we can't defend him anymore. Either he's got to learn how to play within the new rules or he's going to get suspended or end up in a wheelchair himself tackling with his head down. And here he is now completely missing because of it. And I, I don't know what to say. I don't know what the answer is. But he's got to continue to evolve and, and learn how to play like everyone else does. And so the entire defense is struggling because of it. And I think when they lost Ryan Glasgow, we all skimmed over a little bit. I think that has had a profound effect on the defensive tackle position. I think it's had an effect on – how much depth they feel they have, how much energy they, they have inside. And, and we've ultimately replaced that nickel pass rusher with Sam Hubbard, and they don't know what to do with Sam Hubbard. Hubbard just isn't winning one-on-one at the defensive tackle position. So what are they doing? They're standing him up at linebacker, bringing him blitzing from the other side. He ran one play that looked like 15 yards to loop around and before he made contact with the offensive lineman and the ball was already out. You might as well not even have him out there. You might as well play with 10 players at that point. So it, that's not his fault. They're trying to create. They're trying to use his athleticism to help them do other things. But I think Terrell Austin is struggling. I think he's struggling big time. I think the start to this year for a team that's very talented defensively, I think they're very I think everyone would have agreed the defense had more talent coming into this year than the offense. And Paul Gunther was okay. We were happy with him for the most part. Um, Mike Zimmer, we were very happy with. So now we go to Terrell Austin, a guy who's been a coordinator, has had some success. Even the Lions fans were more than happy to let him walk in and start new on their defensive side. We're here now, you know, after seven games, and I'm, I'm looking at it like this is this is as bad of a turnaround as you could have, or as you, as any pessimist could have expected on the defensive side of the ball. And it, while the offense isn't matching, it, it, you know, if you're going to have a bad defense, you need to have a fantastic offense like the Chiefs have. That's how they're six and one right now. But when when the defense is playing this bad and the offense is disjointed. You don't really know where to turn, where to turn, and where to look, and where to point the finger on defense because every single player in every single position has had moments where they've either disappeared, made mistakes, or just given up a big play. And they're, when they're not creating the big plays on defense, that's when we're looking at it like, yeah, this is just a, a bad side of the team. Joe Goodberry of the Athletic is with us. Let's talk about Vontez Perfect. You said you didn't want to get on him. I do because okay. I, I look. He's played football his entire life. Um, if he's pulling up and he's not able to make tackles without throwing chicken wings out at Antonio Brown's neck and shoulder pads and head, then there's something wrong. Like, he should be able to go out there and still play at a high level. He's 28 years old, and he looks dreadful. Like, he's not their best linebacker anymore. And I thought thought Sunday was a chance for him to show the world that he could still be an elite player – I'm not even sure if he's a good player. He's certainly not a good player right now. And if Burfecht is that, this should be his final year with the Bengals, period. In fact, if – and I shot this down when you were on this podcast, oh, six months ago or so. But if that's the case, maybe – Trade him for the Raiders. Maybe you this field calls. This is what you're going to talk about. I, I'm serious. Maybe you field calls. <laughs> maybe you field calls ahead of it. I shot that down, and obviously it was before the PED suspension, and I think there was some smoke there where John Gruden and the Raiders were interested. Obviously, Paul Gunther went there as defensive coordinator. If you can get a fourth or a fifth-round pick for him right now, I'd probably do it. And that just, one, it's just a headache. Two, I think Vontez Perfect is a child. I think he's a 28-year-old uh, who's a year older than me, and he acts like he's 12 years old, and he hates when people like me criticize him. 
And, and honestly, I, I wish he would have went out there and balled out because I would have praised him for it. And instead, he fell right on his face and looked silly multiple times. And so I have to criticize him, and he deserves every bit of the criticism. He was awful on Sunday. He's been awful for the majority of his three games that he's been back. And I just I wonder if it's not worth trying to get some kind of draft pick for him before the trade deadline and moving on. I'd, I'd completely trade him, and here's why I would. Um, normally we say, and I think it's part of this comes from Marvin Lewis and the coaching staff, how they'll, they'll always tell you, you know, they love Doma Topeco because he always do the right thing and mentally, you know, intelligence. They say it with Michael Johnson. Um, it was one thing with Bontez Burkett. We can always, whenever he came back or was in the game, you felt like the, the linebacker unit gelled real quickly. Um, he helped make the calls. He helped adjust things. And you're always at least confident in that part of, of his game, even if he was out of shape. Um, and instead, this through three weeks now, and maybe it's because it's a new coordinator and you know all new new system. As he, as as Austin implements more and more of of what he has in his back pocket, but um, with perfect now, we're getting so many mental errors, and and the missed tackles are easy to see. But when you go back and, and you watch the tape and you say, a linebacker was supposed to be in this spot, or somebody was supposed to cover at that at that position, and perfect trying to help somebody else or, or take someone else's responsibility because he doesn't trust the guy next to him, whatever the case may be. And then you see him kind of complain. You see, one of the first guys that come talk to him every single time is Jesse Bates. And I've grown to really like Bates, and I feel like mentally he knows what he's doing. He's got a grasp of this defense. And when you see Burfitt kind of like it's, – it's reading body language, and I hate to do that too much, but he looks very like – confused or, well, I thought this guy had this guy and he's pointing to over to somebody else. And, and you see Bates is, is looking at him like, dude, where are you at? What are you doing? And I don't want him to pass the buck on someone else when he's making these mistakes because there's only so many coverages you can play. They're not, it's not crazy. If you watch enough games, they're playing the same things over and over again. And then when that linebacker, and he, a lot of times his middle linebacker and nickel, when that middle linebacker isn't there and he's chasing somebody else, you go, well, what is he doing? And normally I could trust him and look at him. And when I'm watching and say, okay, this is what they're supposed to be doing, I can adjust based on where perfect is. Right now I'm looking at it, and I've, I've, I've sat back a few times and watched the play a few times and gone, I don't know what he's doing. I don't know where he's going or what it, where, who he's covering or what gap he's, he's playing on this. And if he's doing that, play Malik Jefferson. Because Jefferson can at least run, and he'll play. And he, he's, he's around the ball a lot on special teams. They say he's mentally not ready. You heard it from when he was in Texas, and he was a high recruit, super yep. athlete, and he never really got it mentally. He never really was that instinctual linebacker. But guess what? We don't have any instincts at linebacker right now. We don't have anyone mentally playing at the, at the top of their game right now either. So let's get a guy out there at least going to run around, and let's see if we can and get him to make some plays because none of these other guys are. So if that's the trade-off, what are we talking about here? Because we've got a veteran here that's slow, missing tackles, and mentally out of position a lot. Put in the young guy. Joe Goodberry of The Athletic is with us. Uh, Joe, I don't see the Bengals' defense getting a lot better, uh, markedly better, right, um, without making a move. And I-, I thought a lot about this, and I wrote about it last week at LockedOnBengals.com. I've tweeted it at James Erpine if you guys haven't um, read it yet. But the the thing I would do if I was the Bengals, and there's going to be a lot of bitters, but if I'm the Bengals, and, and hell, I might have mentioned this to you last week, but but I would trade – for Patrick Peterson. And I know it's going to be a high asking price, but if you're the Bengals and you offer them a first rounder in 2019, and in 2020 you offer them a second round pick, I think that's going to be about as competitive as competitive can be for Patrick Peterson's services ahead of that that October 30th deadline. It makes a ton of sense to me. I think you'll get a compensatory pick back, assuming Darquez Denard walks this offseason, which I think is the assumption right now. Um, what would you say if the Bengals did that? Because to me, it would give the pass rush that I think now is it's official. We all thought they were better than they were. We all thought they were expected them to produce more. But it would give them a chance um, to kind of turn things around and, and get some pressure on the corner, uh, the quarterback. And if you had to go to New England or you had to go back to Arrowhead in the playoffs, you'd have a fighting chance with William on one side, Patrick Peterson on the other, two premier corners in the NFL. And it wouldn't just be for this year. It would be for two seasons after this year. That's why I'd be willing to give up so much. Your thoughts? If they did it, 
I'd be one of the most excited people out there. Okay, I mean, why wouldn't you? They're getting a guy that probably is going to make the Hall of Fame. You remember that draft class, crazy draft class, yes. right? There's a lot of Bengals fans that wanted Patrick Peterson that year, 2011. And there might be like seven Hall of Famers in that first 12, 15 picks. So he's one of them. And if you look at his numbers this year, he's maybe the best corner in the league based on statistics and and, and analytics. So are you, you're telling me I get a top five guy that's, should continue to play well. Yeah, he's 28. For the, for the life of, right. For the life of his contract, he should continue to be a top corner that he's always been. So there's no question there. There's no concern there. You know, things happen, but going in, there's no concern. Um, Cap-wise, not a concern. Again, it's you're paying him, but at the same time, the Bengals are never near the cap at all, and a lot of that guaranteed money is paid. A lot of that signing bonus stuff is paid because you're at the final three years, final two and a half years of his contract. So, yes, it could work. I'd be happy with all that. Um, so... It would make their defense better, right? Will it make it better enough? Because if you look at the numbers right now, Kirkpatrick and William Jackson over like the last four weeks have been excellent. They have, they're allowing like 35% completions against them. They're playing very well, but it doesn't matter because that nickel spot's getting picked on, because that, that safety spot's getting picked on, because the linebackers are getting picked on. The linebackers are giving like 85% completions up at, and while they're in coverage. So you start to say, okay, you can get another guy like that that's shut down. And I don't, I'm not sure it slows down the offenses at all that they're facing because uh, you're still going to get picked apart in the middle of the field. And now I would my also my other point would be, um, who's the nickel corner at, at that time? Are we talking about um, Kirkpatrick slides in there? He's never really played there too much. Darquez Denard be, when he comes back. Sure, right. So I'm saying in the next you know handful of weeks for that he misses, but and we relegate. Kirkpatrick to the bench, I guess. But he honestly, Kirkpatrick's numbers aren't that bad besides a couple penalties, a couple big plays that happened earlier in the year. His numbers lately have been very, very good. Now, they're not Patrick Peterson. I know this. Um, so maybe you, you can get, you could put Kirkpatrick on a trade and, and you know make that move. That's what an aggressive team would do, I think. I think we talked about this before that a team like the Patriots would have already have cut Kirkpatrick or probably have, have traded him after you know having a poor year after paying him. Um, so yes, I you know I wouldn't be against adding talent. My one reservation is, is it enough to get this team over the hump? Is talent the reason this team is not good enough? And I don't think that's the the cause. I, I, I honestly I say, well they still have Marvin and they're still going to struggle in prime time against these good teams in the playoffs. Patrick Peterson or not? So why give up a first round pick? That should help the next coaching staff in 2055 when Marvin Lewis. Oh is out of here. stop! Don't you? Di- First off. I, I get what you're saying, and I understand the logic makes sense. Um, here, here's what I'll say: is is the Bengals aren't a player away. Breaking news here on the Locked On Bengals podcast: they're not going to win the Super Bowl this year. They're they're just not. Um, yes, they're they're still probably a right tackle slash right guard and a linebacker or two away, even with Patrick Peterson. But, That's because you have Marvin Lewis, though. You wouldn't need to have a good player at every position. If you had air coaches, no, no doubt, I, I agree. But part of it is, is Marvin's here and Andy's here, and you know they were never going to invest. And we talked. The thing is, is this this new revelation this week, by the way, where it's like Pat Mahomes was drafted right after John Ross. We talked about quarterbacks a ton before that draft and yep. wide receivers, and we just we got shot down by everyone. Remember, Joe? Yep. Every, oh, yep. quarterback. They don't need a quarterback. Anyone They've got in, too many holes. They yeah. can't do that. Yes. So I don't want to hear it. Like, we were the first to bang that drum, and we'll continue to. I'm always open to a quarterback. I can't wait till this draft season. And nobody better say a thing about a quarterback negatively. Yes. I, I'm with you. But, but to me, here's the thing. What has Billy Price given this team? Center was this big, huge need. He's played a game and a half. Uh, what is John Ross? I love him. I think they need a deep threat. What has he given this team? The Bengals don't even know how to use him. Patrick Peterson is a sure thing. He's instantly going to upgrade a defense that needs it not only this year but moving forward. And if you look at just some teams that have made runs from Jacksonville last year to Denver a couple of years ago – Having to heck, New England did it with, with Browner and Revis. You can, if you have two elite corners, you have a shot against anyone. And and yes, quarterback matters. They're not changing the quarterback. Yes, head coach matters. They're not changing that. So if they can get their hands on a guy like Patrick Peterson, it's probably going to be better than anyone they get in the first round of this year's draft and anyone they get in the in the second round of next year's draft. That's why I'm okay wrong. with it. You're not wrong. Chances are that they drafted Patrick Peterson are incredibly slim. Um, especially if they're picking, you know, between 15 and 25. 
incredibly slim that they get a Patrick Peterson or that they even draft a corner, right? So, yes, I your logic is also sound, and it's hard to argue against adding a future Hall of Fame Pro Bowl player. Um, but at the same time, if this defense was closer, it, you know, if, if it wasn't the worst defense in the league, if it was, man, this is like a top-12 unit, they're really close, adding a premium player like that, I feel like they could ride that defense into the playoffs and further. I just we're so far away from that right now that it's hard for me to envision because um, I'm with you. I, I think you, with limitations, I had coaching quarterbacks, much like the Jaguars last year and still made a run uh, because their defense was fantastic. You could you could do that and potentially make a deep, deep playoff run off an elite defense. But I, I don't think Patrick Peterson makes his defense elite. I think they're being held back by much more than the, the, the few plays to Drake or Patrick that are beating them. I think, you know, like I said in the first time I answered it, I just think there's too many issues in the middle of the defense and especially in coverage that it wouldn't affect how much an offense is moving this team up and down. You know what's going to help the defense the most this year? It's the offense scoring more points and sure. letting those letting those pass rushers pin their ears back and go. Look at the last three weeks; they've been down most of those games. They were down to the Dolphins until the defense had the, the, until the offense scored and the defense was able to pass rush and, and get Tannehill on turnovers. They were down almost the entire game to the to the um, or at least neutral or down to the Steelers almost the entire game. And then with the Chiefs, they're down completely. You, it's hard to pass rush against those teams when when it's either neutral or you're or you're trailing. Um, you know, we've talked about this almost every week. So that the biggest thing that's going to help the defense this year, the biggest fix, people keep always asking me, well, how do they fix it? How do they fix it? Well, the offense has to score 30 points a game, and if they do, this defense will look much better. Yeah, but that's the thing. That's why I think Peterson could help. Let, let me ask one more thing um, when it comes to this. As far as Dre, let's say they made this move. I still think Dre's useful for a variety of reasons. Hence, let's talk about the matchup against Kansas City, right? Let's say you have Patrick Peterson and you have William Jackson and you need to guard Travis Kelsey. Well, then you could put Dre on Kelsey with the safety shading over the top and Darquez Denard and Dre can kind of share duties there. Like I think that that gives you a better chance than putting a linebacker on him. I think you could kind of move Dre around a little bit. And last thing, and I thought this when they drafted Dre, and obviously he's a $50 million corner and he's established himself and honestly exceeded my expectations when they drafted him to play corner. Do you think he could play safety at all? I originally thought he could because I thought he'd gain some weight at yeah. the time. And he's so NFL. lean. And I agree. He is, and and he hasn't almost. I mean, he's gotten older, but he really hasn't packed on the weight um, I, I expected. Uh, he's, he's always been a physical guy that's willing to tackle. He's never been a great tackler. He's a willing tackler. Um, I think him running down the alley, you know, against the running back is not going to happen, and that's the reason I, I think if he was a safety, he'd be a free safety. Um, or a guy you do, you know, Kenny Vaccaro, Tyron Matthew, who's really a safety in name, but they're a corner, you know, by design. And I think if, you know, you could do it that way. But the Bengals, when we talk about this a lot. They should go more three safety. They <laughs> better cover safeties than they do linebackers. You should let Clayton Fedgelum or Sean Williams play linebacker. Yeah. They don't do it. They should have kept George Iloka and let one of those guys play linebacker. They don't do it. Instead, they let the linebackers get picked on. So there's a lot of things they could do coverage-wise that could help them against tight ends that they fail to do consistently. So we can dream up these scenarios, but at the end of the day, if they're not going to do it, um, you know, it's hard for me to really. But again, I don't want to make it seem like I want to be against adding a premium talent. Yeah, no, I, I'm with I'm with you. I understand everything you're saying. I, I think what it means is is they need to hire me to be GM, and and, and I can consult with you and, and others, and and we could get this Patrick Peterson deal done, and we can move whether it's Sean Williams to linebacker or Drake Kirkpatrick in a hybrid role, whatever it is. But we can turn turn things around. What do you think? Trade away all the first round picks, draft all the quarterbacks. We'd be the worst team ever. But at least it would be fun. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> He's Joe Goodberry of the Athletic. Pat Mahomes goes deep for Baker Mayfield. Touchdown. <laughs> Joe, what are you going to write about this week on the Athletic? Uh, third down struggles. I, I praised them on oh. third downs a couple of weeks ago. Now oh. this week, they, you know, because I was so big on the punts. Did you watch uh, on like the red zone this Sunday, the one o'clock, four o'clock games, how many teams went for it on fourth down? A lot. It was amazing. Right. I talked about it before. And then all of a sudden here it is. I'm like, people are even messaging me like, this is crazy how much they're going for. It. I'm like, I know the Saints three times in one drive. I'm like, they're just playing with us at this point. And then the Bengals fail. And, and that was the point of my, my fourth down thing. I'm saying they can't punt. 
it means they got to convert on third, and they didn't. And and we always knew the Bengals aren't going to go for it on fourth. So we're going back, looking at these third downs. A lot of them tell the story of why they're struggling on offense right now. And, uh, you know, I'm going to diagram them, and, and that should be out tomorrow. He's Joe Goodberry of The Athletic. Make sure you check that out and uh, so much more. Follow him on Twitter at Joe Goodberry. This time next week, Joe, we better be talking about a 5-3 and three team that has Des Bryant and Patrick Peterson on it. What do you think? Sounds great. Let's do it. <laughs> It'd be a lot of fun. Joe, I appreciate the time. I'll talk to you next week. All right. Sounds good. That's Joe Goodberry of The Athletic. That was fun. That was fun. Could you imagine if they added either one? I do think Terrell Pryor should get consideration as well. You got to look. You got to. I'm the John Ross guy. You got to have weapons, clearly. Maybe Bill Lazor will figure out how to use them. In all seriousness, Red Zone, Des Bryant, makes some sense, doesn't it? You heard Joe. They don't really trust CJ Uzama. Des Bryant's really good in the red zone. I'd probably go after him. I'm James Erpine. This is the Locked On Bengals podcast. You can subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, the iHeartRadio app. A ton on the website at LockedOnBengals.com. Thank you so much for listening today. Back at it tomorrow. It's Crossover Wednesday, so we'll talk with Locked On Buccaneers. Have a great night. Until tomorrow. I'm James Rapine. Thanks for listening to the Locked On Bengals podcast. Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. If you're looking for the most comprehensive NFL Draft coverage this offseason, look no further than the Locked On NFL Scouting Podcast. Join the draft dudes, Kyle Krabs and Joe Marino, as they go position by position through the NFL free agent class and into the star-studded crop of college stars who will be selected in the 2024 NFL Draft. If you want to know who your favorite NFL team should be adding to its roster, you need to check out Locked On NFL Scouting. Available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team, every day.